Amen. I, I don't. I didn't intend to get here. If you'll turn to Romans six, I'll get there in just a minute. But I, you know, the, the talent of the parable, or the parable of the talents, and and, and the one was given one, and one was given two, and one was given uh, five, and and the one that was given five made you know ten, and and the one that was given two made four, but the one that was given one kept their talent and didn't do anything with it. You know, I take away from that that God has a calling for your life, and and you don't you, you don't have to be the best. You didn't have to turn to four to ten. You didn't have to make. You just gotta discharge it faithfully. You gotta do the best with what you have. If the one with one talent had turned it into two, he'd been on the same equal footing as the one with two that turned it to four, the one with five that turned it to ten. The calling isn't that you're you're the greatest that there ever was. The calling is that you're faithful to his voice and what he's spoken to your life. You can take that for free. I'm not going to charge you for it. I'm going to get to the Sunday school lesson now. Amen. But I feel like that somebody may be under the sound of my voice. I don't believe anything happens by chance in the house of God. And, and, and you just need to know there's a purpose. There really is a purpose. And I'm going to answer for that purpose one of these days. Amen. Romans chapter 6. We're still, we had been moving at a pace that we were taking a chapter in about four or five lessons. And that kind of been the pace we've been on uh, through the book of Romans, sometimes six lessons. We are now um, lesson number 35. I think this is our seventh lesson in the book, in in chapter six. And so it's kind of an anomaly. Uh, We're not anywhere, we're not even halfway done with this chapter. And uh, we're not going to move very far today. Uh, That's okay, though, because this is a very pivotal moment in the book of Romans. This is a very important place where we are. And I I heard a story this week, read a story that uh, illustrates some of what we've been talking about. And I just wanted to share it with you. It was a story about a young man who was still a teenager when he was drafted into the Marines. And during his time in uniform, he was placed under the authority of a particularly imposing sergeant major. He, he, that, that sergeant major was a hard man. He was a man with authority. He was a man with power, and he was a man that was willing to use that power. There was a willingness in him to punish even the smallest infraction, whether it was real or, or just imagined, it didn't matter. He was a hard, hard man to serve. Whenever that particular sergeant major walked through the barracks, the very toughest of soldiers were reduced to quaking in their boots, as it were, in hopes that they would not draw his attention. They Nobody wanted to attract the attention of the sergeant major. Nobody wanted to fall under his uh, watchful eye and, and, and be picked apart by his, de- his demanding attitude that you conform to the military rules. It was a very... A powerful hold that this man had over those that were under him. The young man said it wasn't until the end of his enlistment that he realized just how dominant the sergeant major had become in his life. It was on the day that he got his papers that discharged him from the military. 
the papers that released him from service, that allowed him to go back to civilian life, that he decided to celebrate in a a, a small but very personal way, kind of a little bit of rebellion. And so with his papers in his hand, he took off walking across the base And he adopted a posture that he had long since abandoned with one hand shoved in his pocket. And with a little slouch in his shoulders, uh, he began to whistle while he walked. Now the hand in the pocket and the slouch in his shoulders and the whistling while he's walking, they, they may seem like minor things. But those were the kind of things that were certain to attract the fury of the sergeant major, the kind of things that you never dared to do while you were under his authority. As fate would have it, as that young man was making his triumphant stroll across the base, he ran headlong into the sergeant major. And in an instant, his posture transformed itself. He, he, without without conscious thought, without even stopping to consider it. Immediately, he straightened his back. Immediately, he threw his shoulders back. He pulled his hand from his top pocket. He, he assumed a, a parade dress kind of position. Uh, and, and the whistling was trailed off into silence. It just froze when he saw the sergeant major. And then it hit him, Donnie. He had papers in his hand that said he wasn't under that man's authority anymore. He didn't have to conform any longer to the sergeant major's demands. And and so with he said with conscious effort, he slumped his shoulders again. He slouched his back just a little bit. He shoved his hand deeply into his pockets and he picked back up his tune and he whistled his way right by the sergeant major because he realized he was no longer enlisted. He realized he was no longer under that control. He, he no longer had to yield to the sergeant major. He didn't have to answer to him anymore. He reckoned it to be true. What he, what he held in his hands, that paper that discharged him, he counted it to be true and real in his life. And he determined that instead of yielding himself to the demands of the sergeant major, he would yield himself to the luxuries of his newfound freedom. And he would do whatever he wanted to do because he was a former Marine. Now, they say there's no such thing as a former Marine. But he was no longer enrolled. He was no longer under the authority of the Sergeant Major. That's the process that that Paul has been detailing for us over the last time. I was kind of excited when I read that because it just fits so beautifully into exactly what we've been talking about for six, seven weeks now. First of all, you've got to know. You've got to know what happened to you. You've got to know that you died to sin, that you've been buried with Jesus Christ, that you've experienced His resurrection life. You need to know the expectation that that produces in your life. You should then walk in the newness of life. You you now live a new life. You have new liberty. You've been set free from the tyranny of sin. 
you have essentially received your discharge papers. You've essentially been, you, you've got the papers in your hand that remove you from sin's dominion. And once you know that, you have to reckon it to be true. When you encounter sin's demands, your flesh is going to naturally urge you to conform to sin's demands. When you encounter temptation, your flesh is going to, by nature, conform to the temptation. It does that without any conscious thought. It does that without any hesitation because flesh is flesh. It was formed in iniquity. It, it, it conforms to sin without even thinking about it. Your natural inclination is to conform to sin's demands. Just like when the young man saw the sergeant major, immediately shoulders go back. His back goes ramrod straight. He, he gets that parade dress attitude about him just because he sees the sergeant major. Your flesh naturally submits to sin's demands. But you break the hold of sin. In the same way that that young man cast off the dominion of the sergeant major, you remember what you know. He clutched his discharge papers and he remembered, I'm not under his authority anymore. You've got to remind yourself, uh, you've been liberated from sin's dominion. Uh, you've been set free from sin's control. And once you know what happened to you at salvation, then you've got to reckon it to be real in your life. That's what verse 11 said. That was our last text. Romans 6 and 11 said that you have to reckon yourself to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. You've got to count it as real. You, you've got to consider it, and you've got to decide that's the way it is. I've got the papers to prove it. The next and final step involves what you do with what you know. It involves the conscious decision not to yield to sin's authority, but instead to live as if you've been set free. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to, we're going to just cover chapter verse 12, Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. And I'm going to promise I'm going to get done with this segment sooner or later. Trying to get to verse 14 kind of concludes this segment, lets us move into the next segment. But I... I, I, I I just feel like I want to spend just a few minutes today talking about verse 12. Verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. This is where we begin the practical application of everything that we've been talking about. Last week, we, we introduced the very first imperative or command in the book of Romans. And we, we talked about how important that was. Paul has moved from the realm of explanation to the realm of application. He, he is intent now, for the very first time in this letter, on telling us how we should live. Now that we've been saved, now that we've experienced the grace of God, now that the blood of Jesus has covered us, now that we have died with Christ and been buried with him and experienced resurrection and newness of life, this is how we should live. Before he was focused on the facts, 
He was focused on the facts of justification. We, we went through all of, uh, of the inner workings of how our salvation works and how justification happens and how it works. But, and, and then we, we focused on the, the facts that we, we died to sin and that we were buried with Him in baptism, that we've risen to walk in the, the newness of life and that we ought, we ought to walk in the newness of life. But now his focus is on telling us how we should live a life that is consistent with what has happened to us. The transition from explanation to application is the heart of Romans chapter 6. That's the reason why we spent so much time here, why I've slowed down, why I'm taking a one verse or two verse per Sunday approach to this passage because this really is the heart this is the transition this is the 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 pivotal moment in this book where we switch from facts from explanation to application where paul says this is how you should live now verse 12 the king james english puts the transitional word therefore in the middle of the next command, the next imperative in the book of Romans. And it makes more sense to us in modern English to lead with the therefore. We would say it like this. We would say, therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body. We'd probably say it even looser than that. We'd say, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. But Paul sticks that, or Paul didn't, but the, the modern English sticks that therefore in the middle maybe muddles it or confuses it a little to us when we read it from our modern mindset. But that word, therefore, serves to connect us back. It takes us back to verse 11. It takes us back to that that command there to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. It takes us back to the stuff that precedes that. It takes us all the way through the foundation that's already been laid in, in chapter 6. And so, What he's saying is because you died and because you count yourself to be dead to sin, because you have your discharge papers in your hand, you should live like it. It's okay to slump your shoulders. It's okay to slouch a little. It's okay to whistle. You're no longer in the Marines. You ought to live like you've been set free from sin. You, you must not let sin rule over you. you. You must not let your flesh lead you back under the control of sin. Yeah, that's the natural course that it wants to take. That's the, the way that it's naturally going to respond to temptation. Yes, your, your flesh is going to draw you out. It's going to lead you. It's going to entice you. It's going to try to trap you again. But you must not let that happen. You must not obey the lust of the flesh. Now, the word lust here conveys a strong desire. It has nothing to do with uh, any kind of sexual connotation. We in our culture kind of limit that word uh, to to things that have to do with the sensual and the sexual. That is not the, the full uh, the scope of the word is much broader and was much broader, and it, it, what he implies here, what he's talking about here, and what other Bible writers also use this word in the same manner to describe the strong enticement of sin. It's it's about it's about desire. It's about enticement. It's about uh, that that thing that that 
your flesh wants. First John chapter two, Dino verses fifteen and seventeen. First John two, fifteen and seventeen. John uses the same. I want to just give a couple of references to the way this word lust is used in Scripture. First John two and fifteen says, "Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world." If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen. So the lust is the desire of the flesh. The next one we use is James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The, the lust is the, the desire of the flesh. It's that natural inclination of the flesh. It's that, that we talked about it in one lesson. We said that, flat, that sin has a beachhead in your life. It has a foothold there in your flesh. Your flesh is always going to tend towards that which is ungodly and that which is unrighteous. You were born in iniquity. You were formed in that image. In, 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 in the sin that was passed down to you, you've got that. You inherited that from Adam. Amen? You're always going to have a sin nature. That doesn't mean you always have to be bound to that sin nature. You don't always have to be under sin's dominion. But the lust is that desire, that lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's the desires of sin that are going to draw you. And so what Paul said, you must, you must not obey that. You must not yield to that. You can't give yourself over to that. James chapter 1 Verse 14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So that's the context in which lust is used. It's the desire that draws a man out and draws a man into sin. And it, its end result is death. Amen. Its end result is back under the back under the control of sin. It's back under sin's dominion. The death that's been talked about there, and we talked about this in a previous lesson too. The death that Paul talks about is the dying out of the old man. And the new man comes to life. The death that James talks about is the death of that new life and returning to the dominion of the old man. And so sin, lust, draws a man out and entices him, and lust, when it is finished, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And that newness of life that was born within me dies. And I'm back under sin's dominion. I'm back. Nobody wants to go there. Amen. That's not the way we're supposed to be. We were set free from sin. We were set free from the dominion of sin. So now operating in the same vein as James and John, Paul tells us that we must not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We must not let sin control us. So the question then is how does sin reign? How do we let sin reign in our lives? He tells us that we let sin reign in our lives by obeying it. If you obey it, you become its servant. 
And if you become its servant, you put yourself back under its dominion. When you submit yourself to the authority of sin, when you submit yourself to the authority of your flesh, when you let that sin roll over you, you put yourself back under its dominion. It becomes the master and you become the slave. That's how that sin reigns in your life. Now, our flesh has that natural compulsion to conform to sin. That's what it desires. But what Paul said is, we should not obey its desires. We should not yield ourselves to that. We should not give ourselves to that. Now, I want to point something out here. The focus of this verse, the focal point, is your mortal body. This isn't just a spiritual command. This is something that involves your body, your living, your flesh and blood, the way you conduct yourself. Paul isn't just describing a spiritual reality here that has no real impact on how you really live. He is describing what you should do with your real physical body. You should not yield your body to sin. You should not let sin rule your life. The very fact that Paul has placed these instructions at this point in this discussion lets us know that there exists a very real danger of sin reasserting its control over us, of sin gaining again that power that it had that was broken, that we were set free from. There's a very real danger of us coming back under submission to sin, back under the authority of sin, of finding ourselves back in that place that we were liberated from. But it also means that we don't have to let that happen. We are not powerless against sin. We're not helpless in the face of temptation. We can resist it. And that's a very important point. Because there's a prevalent theme in Christian theology today that says that you are powerless against sin. That you can't help yourself, that you can't control yourself, that you don't have any choice. That, that line of thinking says that you are a lawbreaker and you will always be a lawbreaker. That you are powerless in that thing. You don't, you don't have any choice in the matter. You don't have any decision about it. You cannot live a righteous life and you have to rely on the grace of God to cover your multitude of sins because you're always going to be a sinner. That is not the message that Paul is conveying here. That's not what he's saying. According to Paul, there are two choices. There are two realities. One is explicit in the verse and one is implicit or implied. The explicit choice is you can let sin reign over you and your mortal body. That's a very real possibility. You can obey the lust of the flesh. You can obey the enticement of sin. And you can let sin master you. You can let it rule over you. But Paul admonishes us not to do that. 
that implies that there is another choice. There is another way to live. There is another option. I don't have to fall again under the authority of sin. Just as surely as I could let sin reign over me. Just as surely as I could let my flesh master me. I could also break the hold of sin in my life. I could reign over sin. I could master my flesh. I could live above that. We don't have to continue to live under the dominion of sin. Yes, we were lawbreakers. Yes, we were sinners. Yes, we were hopelessly lost. But that condition is not permanent. That condition is not hopeless. We were set free from sin's control. We were born again to a new life. The new life isn't under the authority of sin anymore. It isn't under the dominion of sin anymore. It's a new life that was born within us. And we don't have to let sin rule us any longer. We should. And I've been saying this. This, this was in the very first lesson in chapter 6. We should walk in the newness of life. That's what we should do. That's the expectation of what has happened in us. This, I believe, is the most important point in this verse. It was, was to me, worth stopping, not trying to go any further, because verses 13 and 14 build very solidly on this and would have flowed nicely with this. But I felt like it was, it was imperative this morning just to stop for a minute and really drive home this, this point. Very powerful, very important point in this verse. We are not helpless against sin. We are not helpless against temptation. We don't have to yield to that. Paul would not admonish us not to let sin rule in our mortal bodies if we were powerless against sin's attack. We can do this. We can rule over sin in our lives. We can present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. We can do that. We are able to prevent sin from reigning in our lives. Sin doesn't have to control us. Our old man was crucified with Christ. We, we died with him at an altar of repentance. We were buried with him in the waters of baptism. And we rose to walk with him in the newness of life when he baptized us with his spirit, which is the resurrection and the life. And all of that occurred in our lives so that sin would be powerless to control us. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. When we died with Christ, we were removed from sin's dominion. That's what God's grace has done for us. It has given us our discharge papers. It has given us a release from sin's authority in our lives. So we started with the question, should we continue in sin? That grace might abound. Again, we find the answer over and over and over again. God's grace 
does not give us an excuse to sin. Rather, it makes it possible for us to be released from sin. God's grace doesn't give us an excuse to be under the dominion of sin. It gives us a reason. As a matter of fact, it makes it morally necessary that we rule over sin. It makes it our moral responsibility to live up to what has occurred in our lives. We've been set free. We've been delivered. If we continue in sin, we mitigate grace's greatest work in our lives. If we continue in sin, we, we undo the great thing that has been done for us. If we continue in sin, we, we take the grace of God that was purchased at such great expense at Calvary and we undo its effect in our lives. We yield ourselves again to the dominion of sin and it reigns in our lives. So this verse tells us that we can and indeed we must Walk in the Spirit rather than the flesh. And be led by the Spirit instead of being led by the sinful compulsions of our flesh. It, that doesn't mean that you will not be tempted. It doesn't mean that you're not going to encounter times and places that try you. It means that you can overcome. It means that you don't have to yield. It means that you don't have to give in. It means that you can live a life that reflects the glory of the God who has saved you from sin. You can. I'm going to wrap things up this morning with one more passage of Scripture. Galatians, Brother Dennis, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. I'm going to go almost all the way through that chapter. I'm going to stop at verse 25. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, also written by Paul. Just Galatians and Romans work together. Different faucets of the same discussion. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is making the same point that he's making here in Romans chapter 6. And it says this. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That sure doesn't sound to me like I'm a lawbreaker, and I'm always going to be a lawbreaker, and there's nothing that I can do about it. Paul said, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're not bound to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You, you, you're not in a place where you're helpless or hopeless, and you're a sinner, and that's all you're ever going to be is a sinner. That's not at all what he's saying. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you need the grace of God, but you can walk in the Spirit. You can yield your life to the Holy Ghost. You can walk after the ways of God and the things of God and the purpose of God for your life. You don't have to fulfill the lust of the flesh anymore. He goes on in verse 17 and says, For the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. If you've been spirit 
fulfilled. Then both flesh and spirit reside within you. The flesh is dead. The spirit is alive. But that dead man you carry around with you all the time. And he's trying constantly to reassert his control. To gain back the authority that he once had. The flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another. They're against each other. They're polar opposites. And you can only serve one of them. You can only serve one of them. Either the flesh or the spirit. You cannot serve them both. James said, sweet water and bitter water can't come out of the same spring, out of the same fountain at the same time. Doesn't work that way. Verse 18 says, but if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. What I want you to see here is that what we're about to read is a long list of things that you do with your mortal body. These, this, this idea of being set free from sin isn't just a meta-spiritual, uh, metaphysical, above-everything spiritual reality that you don't ever live out in your flesh. And that's what some would teach and say that, you know, this is, we're talking about spiritual liberty and spirit. You've been, you've been set free and the grace of God covers you. You just can't control how you live. That's not what it says. These are things that you do. These are ways that you live. If you let sin reign in your mortal body, you obey the lust of the sin. These are the types of things that you do. And this list is not, it, it's not all inclusive. This isn't everything that you do in sin, but it is indicative of the works of the flesh. And Paul says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't get any more plain than that. It doesn't get any more settled than that. These are the things that keep you from being a child of God. These are the things that keep you from living under the power of the Spirit, keep you from walking in the Spirit. These are the things that place you under sin's dominion. When you do these things, sin reigns in your mortal body. That's contrary to the grace of God. Amen. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Those are the characteristics of a Spirit-led life. Now watch what he says next. Verse 24, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. That's the same message 
that we've been seeing in the book of Romans. That's what we've been talking about now for six or seven weeks. Those that belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lust. That all the stuff that comes along with it. They've put that to death. They've died out to that. They're no longer under sin's dominion. They're no longer under sin's control. Then Paul ends with the same admonishment that we find in Romans, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you're spiritually alive, it needs to show up in the way you live. It shows up in the way you walk. I want you to know this morning that you can Walk in the Spirit. You can live a life that reflects the fact that sin no longer rules over you. You can live a life that shows that you have been set free from sin's dominion. You do not have to yield to sin's control. Amen. Would you stand with me? Going back to the story that I started with this morning. There are some that have experienced the grace of God. Have experienced the depths of his mercy. And have failed to live a life that reflects what God has done for you. You're like the young man who with his discharge papers in his hand. Reflexively straightens his back. Squares his shoulders. And ceases to whistle just because he catches a glimpse of his old ruler, the sergeant major. But what Paul is telling us this morning is that what you need to do exactly what that young man did. You need to realize that sin no longer has any dominion over you. You need to recognize the discharge papers that you now have in your hands, you have been crucified with Christ. You have died out to sin's control. You don't have to let sin rule over you any longer. And just like the young man in the story, once you realize the truth of the matter, you have to live it out in your flesh. It took a conscious effort for the man to relax the military discipline and demeanor that he had adopted and return back to the happy-go-lucky approach of a liberated man. You've got to make a conscious effort. You have to decide. You have to determine for yourself not to live under sin's bondage anymore. Pastor can't make that decision for you. Your mom and dad couldn't make that decision for you. Your spouse can't make that decision for you. You've got to decide that you're going to follow God. That you're going to obey Him. That you're going to walk with Him. That you're not going to live under the control of the compulsions of your flesh. But you're going to follow after the Spirit of God. You have to make that decision for yourself. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to trust Him. My Bible said the footsteps of a good man are ordered by God. 
I'm going to turn to him. I'm going to let him determine my paths. Let him determine the way that I go and the things that I do. You're a child of God. You should now walk in the newness of life. It should be different. Let me encourage you this morning. You can live that way. You should live that way. If you're under the sound of my voice and you've fallen back under sin's dominion and you need to repent this morning, I want to let you know the blood of Jesus is just as real and just as fresh and just as powerful as it ever was. And you can find a place and you can bend your knees and you can lay your heart before Him and the grace of God will cover you. Just because you messed up, God doesn't discard you. He doesn't throw you in the refuse pile of life and say, I'm finished with you. He's not standing over you saying, yeah, that I knew you weren't good enough. I knew you couldn't do it. Instead, He's saying, I just want you to know you don't have to live that way. You shouldn't live that way. Come out. Be different. Each and every one of us needs to be reminded this morning that we have our discharge papers. We've been set free. And it's up to us to live like it. I'm calling the entire house to a place of prayer this morning for a few moments. Would you find a place and would you ask the master? We used to sing a song when I was a kid that said, I want to live the way he wants me to live.